Hi there, ladies and gents. It's uh, Dan from Adventure More UK. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Catch on the Flip Side. Today's special guest is a speaker, he's an adventurer, community leader, and an author. The man is Mr. Dave Cornfort. How are you? Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, uh, no problem, no problem. Um, it's, 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 actually, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I know you're a busy man, uh, and like I said, taking the time to come and speak to me. So I appreciate that. My my pleasure. The internet makes it very easy to appear busy. So, uh, yeah, I've yeah yeah I've cancelled yeah. no, I've cancelled loads that. of things to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, first thing I want to talk about is obviously I'm going to go into like all the amazing stuff you've done over the years. But when you was a child, like like before you started doing all this, was adventure sort of in your blood, or was it something you just kind of stumbled upon? No, it, it it wasn't at all. I uh, I remember kind of one adventurous thing from my childhood. We went on a caravan holiday. Yeah. My parents had a caravan. We went down to the south of France, which was a treat. And we camped next to yeah. a lake. And there was a kayak there. And I just loved the idea of getting in a kayak and then paddling to an island in the middle of the lake and just setting some sticks up, leaning against a branch and sleeping under it. And they let me do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I remember the thrill of that idea of just camping somewhere unexpected. But it, it definitely wasn't yeah. something I'd, I'd say was in my blood. You know, that, that didn't come until yeah. much, much later. Yeah, yeah. So when you was at, at that age, like, was that the only kind of like experience you had? Or did you, did you do things like scouts or anything like that? Or cub scouts, anything like that? <laughs> uh, I... I was I was an amazing beaver, and I, re- okay. I remember the joy of kind of collecting those little badges. But it was you know it was yeah, it yeah. was it was rubbish stuff. There was nothing really adventurous to it. And then I I lasted or I should say survived like ninety minutes in the scouts. Yeah, I, went, yeah. I remember going along. My first one it was in Germany. My parents lived in Germany, so. I went okay. went down the road in this Royal Air Force base to the scout hut. Okay. And they, everyone start after an hour or so, everyone started just lobbing jelly around. Uh, and I remember, <laughs> I honestly thought, oh, I, I don't want to cause any extra trouble for my mum. I don't want her to have to wash this stuff. So I left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was my scout career, 90 minutes in jelly and out. So oh, wow. <laughs> I think yeah. if you'd so- seen me at that moment, Dan, you wouldn't have said, this boy's going to be adventurous. <laughs> yeah no, so uh just going back a little bit like so uh, something i didn't realize so i mean were you a, what they call a pad brat Is that what they, that's what they call it? like a so like basically a, a pad brat yeah child, 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 someone who's brought up in the military environment so yeah like a we, military, we parents brat, military. Yeah. yeah my dad was... yeah so that yeah because that's something i um i didn't realize like because that's that's my background as well for, for people who don't know and if you didn't know yourself, um, I come from a military background. I did eight years in the military, oh. so it's interesting uh, to to see. Like, obviously, when you were say uh, growing up in that environment, did you not get sort of persuaded to going down that route, or was it something that didn't really cross your mind? Quite the opposite, actually. I should, I, should, I don't really kind of yeah. consider myself having a military background. My dad was a dentist in the Royal Air Force, and that was about as close okay. as I got to the military. <laughs> I even now, if you if you try and put a tie on me, let alone a uniform on a daily basis, then I'll 
It's yep. about as close as I'll come to killing someone, I think. And yeah, yeah. My my brother, on the other hand, he's four years younger than me, and he went into the RAF. He's a jet pilot. Uh, so yeah, okay. Yeah, he went one way, and I went completely the other. There's, you know, I I hate, I hate kind of discipline imposed on me. I need to have control over my own decisions. Yeah. I need to have freedom in my life to be creative. And yeah, yeah. There was I. I never for one moment thought I'm going to go into the military when I'm when I'm old enough. No way. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, cause it's interesting because I know a lot of people who go down that route because I've got a lot of friends who have parents who were military and it kind of persuaded them in a way subconsciously, I think, to go into the military. But it's interesting that you say that. that you, obviously, something that you never really thought about. Um, but obviously, like you say, if your brother went in... Then Obviously, somewhere down the line, it kind of split. You went in and you didn't. But um, that bring, brings me on to kind of your, one of your first adventures. Um, now, first of all, um, your first adventure was part of your Expedition 1000. Now, for people who don't know what that is, what what is is it to people who don't know? Yeah, so I guess Expedition 1000 sums up my my main adventure project, which is to complete 25 different journeys. And each one has to be at least 1,000 miles in distance and using a different form of non-motorized transport. So, yeah, yeah my first adventure was actually a warm-up for my for my first expedition, 1,000. But they were both on yeah, they, yeah. they were both on long skateboards. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. So, expedition 1,000, 25 journeys, thousand miles, non-motorized, but each journey is very different. Yeah, yeah. So. You just uh, br- briefly went on about uh, your first one, which was 2006, was it, where you skateboarded the length, well, uh, was it Perth to Brisbane in Australia? Yeah, so I, I warmed up. I'd never done anything like this before, and less than a year before yeah, yeah. I tried a skateboard for the first time. And I just loved the idea of travel. I I fell in love with my hometown for the first time, or the town I was living yeah. in for six years. And, yeah, I skated yeah. from John O'Groats to Land's End as a warm-up. And then went to Australia and spent five months pushing from Perth to Brisbane. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Like, so I, I've been to Australia myself, and I've, I, I spent most of my time on the east coast, never on the west coast. But for people who, who look at Australia, like in the middle of Australia, there is absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. So how how was that like going through sort of basically hundreds and well thousands of miles of nothing in the middle? How was that yeah. for you? Yeah, it was. It was thousands of miles. Uh, I loved it. I really did. I, I guess the idea to do this thing came out of a need to, to work out, not only who I was and what I was capable of, but I, I just, I just needed to mix it up. I hated sitting behind a desk working for somebody else, and yeah. it's a really strange breakaway. You know, I tried a skateboard. I loved it. I decided to try and break a world distance record and it was totally out of the blue it surprised yeah. everybody who knew me yeah. and yeah. Get, being in the middle of australia like along these long you know 100 mile roads without a bend yeah it was wondrous it was exactly what i was yeah. what i was looking for what i was hoping for the, there's a lot of thinking time out there uh, and also i've kind of got this secret life mission to become the world's second most tanned ginger after Wesley Snipes <laughs> so uh <laughs> yeah so I was I was on I was on my way I felt <laughs> yeah so when you was over there 
Was uh, there was a lot of people kind of wondering what you were doing, or did you have quite a lot of support? Because I know and Aussie, Aussies are a bit like us; they're kind of like a bit laid back and they're kind of like very sort of forthcoming and helping and things like that. Especially for us, us Poms, as they call us. Yeah, I had a I had a really great welcome uh, from from Aussies. This is super hospitable on the most part. Uh, but they they also have this lovely sense of humour and this uh, just imagine this idea of this redheaded English pommy skateboarding on yeah. a big yellow skateboard all of the way across their country. You know, this is a journey most Australians wouldn't even consider driving, let alone you know yeah, doing yeah. it without a motor. So from from the off, they absolutely fell in love with the idea, and it was it was an insane journey. It was it. It obviously wasn't an easy challenge, but it was. It had such comedy value for for the Australians, and I was on the TV all the time over there. Which, looking yeah. back, is proper weird because that's you know I'd never kind of choose a media driven lifestyle, uh, but it was a good story, you know, and and I I think that was yeah. the key. Uh, so yeah, every almost every day there was a radio interview, and you know the morning shows followed me all the way across and. Yeah, and Australians yeah. off the back of it, they obviously, you know, the occasional one kind of drove by thinking, <laughs> who's this idiot? Uh, yeah. But on yeah, the yeah. whole, yeah, people just kind of like, everyone knew about it by the end, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, did you encounter any sort of uh, creepy crawlers on the way? Yeah, all, all the time. I mean, Australia's yeah. one, this, you feel, you know, so kind of protected and sheltered growing up in England and there's nothing yeah. here that really wants to kill you. Whereas in Australia is the complete opposite in the water or on the land. So yeah, we saw, you know, we saw wolf spiders in every kind of road station shower. And, uh, you know, I'd be like squatting for the, to for the toilet a hundred meters off the highway and, and a snake, a brown snake would just slither on by. And you just think for me, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really scared. It was just a case of, this is cool. I mean, I wanted a different experience from yeah. this and I'm sure yeah. getting it. And I hope that snake doesn't turn around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you, would you, would you aware that things like that, like them? So for instance, the brown snake, for instance, would if you had been bitten by one of them, it could have been, if not catastrophic, like it could have been in a, a life ender. Like that, that I've encountered them myself and they're scary, scary animals. Cause they generally will go for humans. They, they're not very, some, some venomous snakes will, will obviously sort of back away, but brown snakes actually actively go for humans. So was it something you were aware of or did you not really understand the different types of snakes out there? Yeah, they're no joke. And I, yeah, I was, to, I was totally aware of the, the, the potential damage yeah. that they could cause. Yeah. Like you say, brown snakes, they're kind of like crocs in, in terms of, uh they're very territorial they'll attack when they're not hungry uh sometimes they don't they 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 don't need to be approached to to uh to be the aggressor so yeah i was i was definitely yeah. aware of the potential repercussions at, at the same time you know i think a lot of people don't even go to australia because they're they know about these snakes and they're just like i'm not i'm not going period yeah. and for me that's never been my attitude like you can be as scared as you want about things but that fear is so great at a distance when you're planning a journey when you're thinking about going to a place and actually they're absolutely beautiful when you when you sat there in the bush just yeah. looking at this thing in its in its habitat you feel yeah. really privileged yeah yeah like 
uh, as I say, because I've been there myself and I've been to some, you know, I've been up to the built up areas, i.e. Sydney and, and places like that. But I've also been to some really sort of, uh, sub, uh, you know, out in the middle of the country. And to be honest, you don't actually see them that often. It's it, obviously, like you said, there's a lot of people who will think, oh, I can't go to Australia because it's got like nine out of the 10 most poisonous animals or snakes, spiders, whatever it may be. And that's what puts them off. But realistically, you, you very rarely see them unless you're actively in an area where they are. But it, it's very rare that you do actually see them. Um, so obviously you traveled, what was it? 3,600 miles or just over 3,600 miles. I think it was. Um, yeah. And when you got to Brisbane, did you have like a, a big sort of gathering welcoming or was it sort of like, like a bit of like you got there and you were like, Oh, I've got there now. <laughs> no, it wasn't an anticlimax at all. I got to, I finished the journey yeah. uh, after five months and yeah, like you said, just over 3,600 miles of skating in Brisbane's South Bank. So kind of right in the art center and there was a crowd of yeah. hundreds there. It was it was insane. You know, I hadn't oh, wow. seen that many people in one place for for a long time. And yeah, it was it was it was really weird. I I'd been working towards this for for months, the best part of a year to get to that finish line, essentially. Uh, and I I was, yeah. you know, I was, I was a young 25 year old. I was pretty green. I, I learned a lot on that journey and continued to for the years afterwards. But to to round that bend, I still remember it and just see that crowd of people there kind of just waving flags and stuff. I mean, it was it, all I did was skateboard across Australia. It wasn't it wasn't important at all. It didn't justify that yeah. that crowd. But I was at the same time, I was absolutely stoked to see that many people kind of celebrating that moment with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, like, like, like I said earlier, like for for to you, you obviously it didn't really mean too much. But for people looking from the outside in, that that is, it's, like it's not every day you see someone skateboarding across one of the biggest countries in the world, you know. Um, which kind of going, I know you do with your expedition one thousand. You've got, you know, like I say, it's twenty five expeditions you're uh, doing. But obviously, I, I feel like if we had to speak about every single one of them, we'd be probably a lot, a long, a long, long time. So I've, I've picked out a few, and obviously, uh, the next one I wanted to talk about was uh, your first. So I think it was one of your first trips to America, which was uh, stand up paddleboard in the Mississippi River. Um, hmm. Now, I think is it? I believe. Am I right in saying it's the? Is it the biggest river in America in the United States? Is that right? Am I right in saying that? It's it's certainly the biggest river in volume. Uh, there's a bit of conflict yeah. over what the longest river in the States is. I think officially the longest river is the Missouri. Uh, it starts way up in Montana right. and then joins the Mississippi and then continues to the sea. So yeah. whether that bottom half of the Mississippi is actually part of the Missouri, you know, it's, it's always up yeah. for grabs. Uh, but it's certainly one of the top two. And it's, you know, it's an iconic river. It's, you know, considered, I think it's the 10th or 11th longest river in the world. It's, it's the most industrial yeah. river uh, in terms of river traffic uh, on the planet. And, you know, it's, it's a monster too. You know, it's 2,350, 2,400 miles. And yeah, it was a beaut. I still look back and, and think that was undoubtedly the most formative journey in my life. Yeah, yeah. So whilst you was on that trip on that expedition like what do you did you already have like a small following of people uh knowing that you like cause obviously when you're in australia i believe 
obviously probably a lot of people might not know who you were or who, what you were doing, but when you went to uh, America to do the Mississippi River, did you have a lot more sort of following of, of people to see what you were doing? I think calling it a small following is accurate. Uh, <laughs> I did, yeah. I did my, my Australian skate in 2006, 2007. Yeah. So before Facebook was a thing yeah. and Twitter and Instagram yeah, and all yeah. of that stuff. So I didn't kind of capture any audience on social media from that, that journey, which was actually really nice. Uh, in some ways it would have been very helpful later on. Um, I don't know. There might've been 1000 people on my Facebook page, my adventure Facebook page. Yeah. But I met so many people on the way down the river. I suppose mu much like the Australian journey, it was it was probably a, one of my most trailblazing trips just because stand-up paddleboarding was still very young in the minds of most people in 2011. No one had stand-up paddleboarded the Mississippi um, when I started. And it was new when people saw someone standing on a board anywhere. It was sort of like, what's that? Let alone traveling yeah. on one and yeah yeah i feel really grateful for kind of being being back there before it was just something that everybody did uh it was a great icebreaker and traveling in without a motor has always been one of my favorite icebreakers i'm a really social traveler i love meeting people finding out how they live what they think what how their traditions affect their actions and um yeah having a having a great icebreaker like that paddleboard uh i made a lot yeah. of friends on the way down that river it yeah. can continue to be a, a big part of my life yeah yeah so when you when you were doing that did you pre-plan sort of places to stay or did you have a lot of people sort of offering the you know offering to come and stay in your house in house feeding you accommodating you etc yeah so on some sometimes when i travel i i just go i just land and and start traveling yeah. i don't write to anybody but on the mississippi i felt like uh I wanted to get to know people. And so before I traveled, maybe a couple of weeks before I flew out to Minnesota, I, I wrote to everybody I could find who I uh, started with Googling for just canoe clubs or paddling clubs or water sports clubs on okay. the river. And then I just said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Here's my website, blah, blah, blah. It'd be great to meet you when I'm coming down. And that started off kind of this telegram, this telegraph system. And when I arrived, like, there were a couple of people at the airport waiting for me, you know, and and that continued okay. all, all of the way down down the river. There'd be I met a couple of people who heard about my skateboarding trip or one of the other trips I'd done before that, and had been following for a little while. But uh, yeah. on the whole, it was just people who heard on that grapevine, and then they were there. I paddled down the river, and there was someone just by the side you know and said come and stay in my river cabin or we're having a barbecue or do you want some dinner you need yeah, a shower yeah. <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> yeah it was wicked oh that's awesome that i think that's uh for people who do think like what you do it, i think that's one of the sort of good sides of that is that you meet a lot of people along the way because i always say this it, there's always a small minority that spoil the minority uh, the majority so when you like, after I spoke to you before about um, uh, chatting to Sean, and there's always people are always happy to help. I feel like there's more people that want to help than there is that don't, and that's something I feel like is quite important when you're doing the sort of things you're doing. Uh, so it must be kind of quite it keeps you quite positive whilst you're doing these trips and don't really have 
so too much time to sort of think about the negative aspects of it. Yeah, Dan, I can I completely agree. Like I I live for those experiences, that reminder that humans are good on the whole. You know, we can if we just hide away in our rooms, which over the last year we've had plenty of opportunity to do, and you look at the world through yeah. the internet, it's not a nice place, but it's not real. Uh, it's just where people go down a rabbit hole and and lose themselves. I really do think that. So when you get out into the world and you're you're kind of living living a story too. Uh, it's amazing how much kindness, friendliness, people do want to help and get involved and be a part of your trip, even if it's just for a few minutes. And and that's the real world. That's how pe- that's how people are. I think if for the majority, uh, they're good and they're, they're kind. It's really really rare. And I've I don't know. I've travelled tens of thousands of miles over the last few years, and it's I can't. Yeah. I'd really struggle to remember a super bad experience with another human, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's good. Because like you say, um, I feel like if being, obviously, if you're going to keep positive, then it's going to push you a bit, I would say, a bit more. Obviously, if you're around negative people, then obviously, it, it, <laughs> uh, no matter how strong you are, like mentally, being around negative people is always going to affect you, I, I, I feel anyway. Because if, 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 um, People start saying, "Oh, you can't do this, can't do that." There is going to be some aspects of it uh, that are going to make you feel negative. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I feel um, it's kind of fuel to go and do not. To, and I've said this before on a previous podcast that I don't go out there to prove people wrong. I go out there to prove myself right. Mm-hmm. I've said said that quite a bit. So, did you did you get people like that who were like, "You're crazy. It's not worth your time. Don't do it. It's dangerous. Whatever it may be." Yeah, for sure. There's been there's been a few over the years. Very few these days. Because um, I I think I, over time I've somehow turned it into a career, which is the best adventure for me by far. Yeah. Uh, I make a living during this stuff, and I think because of that, people kind of like hang a hat on. Oh, okay, it earns an income, so it's normal now. As opposed to, they think about, it always comes back to money for people. It's either you shouldn't go and do that. Why would yeah. you let go of your house, your job, and go and spend money paddleboarding and doing something silly? Uh, yeah. I think, I honestly, my take on it is whenever someone gives you shit or tells you you can't do something, yeah. they're talking to themselves. Because, yeah. frankly, yeah. no nobody cares, really cares. They might be interested, but no one cares about my trips. That I'm doing them for me and I, I, I'm under no illusions yeah. that anyone else really it's so rare mate that it's only in podcasts like this that people ask me about them my friends never ask me about my journeys yeah. <laughs> which is annoying sometimes yeah. but I, I get it <laughs> we've all got our own lives don't we and I think when yeah. when I've had those naysayers those negs they're talking to themselves yeah. they're convincing themselves yeah. that they're still doing the right thing and honestly I think yeah, if, yeah. if anybody is worth listening to, they've they've done what you're about to do. They get it. And there just simply wouldn't yeah. be any negativity in that place. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That that I think that's a quite an important thing to sort of remember. That people that are probably telling you that you can't do it, uh, they're probably having some form of issue themselves or neg- they're always gonna be a negative like that. And again, I've had that before where people say that you it's not doable, it's not, you know, it's not, not possible. Hmm. And again, I go out there to prove myself right. I don't want to go out there and say you were wrong. Because at the end of the day, yeah. we're, 
doing our own thing to help ourselves initially and obviously to help other people. Um, now, the next one I want to talk about, one that I found very interesting is, and you're going to have to bear with me a second because I, I can never pronounce it. Is it the, the elliptigo? The elliptigo around yeah, Europe from, from Liverpool to Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I sat here before and I was like, I, I was trying to pronounce it. it was, yeah, elliptigo. So it's for people that don't know, it. for me, it just looks like a cross trainer cross with a bike. Yeah, that's exactly is that the what it best? is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you take um, this elliptical so, trainer from the gym and give it some yeah. handlebars, brakes, gears, wheels, and you're away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so with that you you did what do you call it? It's class would you class it as cycling? Is it class as cycling? Running, I'd say. Running, yeah, like yeah. So, so basically you you ran Yeah, yeah. So you ran from Liverpool to Nice in the south of France. Yeah, but I ran really fast because I was on this bike yeah. thing. <laughs> uh yeah, the yeah, great yeah. The, the great thing about the elliptigo is you it mimics all the benefits of running and the motion without the pounding on your joints. Uh, yeah, which yeah. was really nice because by then I think that was my eighth trip and my, my body was yeah. starting to feel it like my mate now I've done 15 yeah. I've still got 10 to go and I'm a, I'm an absolute wreck I need to get some bionic joints yeah, just yeah. to carry on going uh, but yeah it was, <laughs> it was a wicked trip we started at Everton Football Club in Liverpool Merseyside okay. uh, yeah. because they use like many clubs use elliptigos to rehabilitate injured players and uh, yeah. yeah just bounced around England for a little while before heading to Europe and then going over the Alps. Yeah, it was a really random, yeah, random yeah. journey. Uh, but in a, in a way, probably the most commercial trip that I've done because it was sponsored by Elliptigo. Uh, looking okay. back, I definitely should have charged them more. <laughs> um, but they, <laughs> they, in loads of towns, almost every town had to stop and kind of meet local fitness groups and people would bound out down their local cobblestone yeah. town over bridges and stuff with their elliptigos join us there uh along the yeah, way yeah <laughs> yeah how, how um how commercially available are they because i'll be honest i've actually never seen one before not not to sort of same aspects of what the same sort of specs of what you've what you had but are, yeah. they, are they quite readily available uh, they're, they're available online it's rare you'll see one in the uk i'd imagine i don't know 20 yeah. 30 people maybe that's a guess but not that many in the uk yeah. if you go to san diego if you go to the, the southern californian coastline they're everywhere uh that's yeah. where they're made that's okay. where hq is they're much cheaper to get over there and yeah what i really like about them is when you're on them you are you're raised up like two foot higher than you would be if you were just on a normal bicycle and you look like something out yeah. of av avatar one of these <laughs> so you feel really <laughs> yeah, safe yeah. because you're you're super visible you look weird so cars give you a wider berth and the view's great you know uh so it's it's a yeah. really nice cool yeah. way to travel yeah yeah so when you do particularly this trip it uh did you carry all all the equipment yourself or did you have a support team yeah, I always carry my gear myself. That's uh, the skateboard yeah. is the only only exception to that. Um, really important to me yeah. that I, I plan a journey yeah. working out how I can do it by myself. And with the elliptigo and a couple of other journeys, I've I've pulled my gear in a trailer behind the the bike or go or whatever it is, um, or or yeah. I carry them in panniers or or dry bags, you know, on the deck of a kayak or a yeah. paddleboard. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, is that something that you make sure you sort of take account account of, or is it like is it something that you, you just don't want in a support team, or is it something you feel like you you want to do it as an individual? Yeah, I mean, I've I've tried a bunch of different ways. I've travelled with one or two other people. Yeah. I've done a lot of solo trips just by myself, and then I've had a couple of trips when yeah. I've had support teams. Um, and I, I think the ultimate freedom, I think if you off to do something like this, it's easier to say, come with me, look for a friend to do it with, you know, it softens the danger or the fear yeah. or the, the unknown. But for me, the ultimate free, I, I, you, you want to go away and do something like this because you want some freedom and the max is when you're by yourself you know you meet so many more people you're a lot more vulnerable uh so you you get yourself into positions which are more out of the norm whereas if you're traveling with one person uh, or a team that's more people to look after it's more potential stress it's slower movement it's more split decisions so yeah i think i take it i take it one way i i don't think i'd ever do a trip with a support team again uh it's there's obviously pros and cons and there's there's a decision to have a team but for me more people more expense and it takes away the freedom yeah yeah i can i can understand that it's uh i spoke to someone when was it, a couple of weeks ago about the same same thing and then it, when you're with other people with support team you're always in the back of your head that you're going to worry about the sort of the dangers to them because obviously you you've got your your own worries about anything from like where you're going to be the next day or your equipment you know stuff like that but then you've always got to worry even though you know you're always going to be with someone else who's an you know an adult so they can think for themselves hmm. but you still if it's your lead like you're leading the expedition or the adventure you're naturally going to worry about someone else which is something hmm. again might when you're doing stuff like that it's always going to have a negative i would say naturally going to have a net effect on you so it's something you particularly don't want is obviously thinking about other things that could potentially go wrong yeah it's more it's more energy and it's it's hard enough to be covering uh, you know a large portion of the planet under your own steam you're gonna be tired you're gonna uh, all, all of that all of that stuff and you want to be able to focus on it um yeah it's yeah i i don't know i think if anyone if anyone comes to me and asks their my opinion on whether you'd go for a support team or whether you just go solo. I'd say just go solo every single time. Yeah, yeah. You'll you you'll, you'll get so much more out of it, and you'll be able to focus on the people you meet, on the place you are, and on yourself to a degree as yeah. well. Uh, yeah, it's I I crave those those freeing solo trips. I'm looking forward to the next one actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is um? So you, you mentioned before that you've got tw- that you want your part of your expedition one thousand is to do twenty five. Now, once you've got to twenty five, even though you've planned that, <laughs> is there a potential that you might go and do twenty six and further? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I, I think twenty five was a goal I set a long time ago back in 2009 2010 and i did it because i didn't want this project to be over i saw it it's just a nice little kind of milestone session for for my my long-term adventures and 
if it had just been 10, I would have been done in three years. So yeah, 25 felt like a really good lifetime goal. And for me, it's a lifetime mission. It's, it's not, it's not a work or a career thing. It's not about records or speed or fitness or anything. I just, these journeys give me soul food. And I knew that, you know, I'd start off doing them when I was 25, 26. And I fully imagine that number 25 will probably be on a bike with some kids in a trailer yeah yeah and i i love that like that evolution of traveling throughout different parts of my life uh and i figured that i i guess what i really wanted from from the idea of these adventures is that i'd i'd grow up through them and work out where my place in the world was because of them and as a result you know i i hope and hoped and hoped i suppose but you you never really know what's going to happen uh and until it does and now looking back if i hadn't gone and decided to travel a long way on a skateboard i i wouldn't be talking to you now i wouldn't have a story to tell i don't think uh i wouldn't be living in a place where i'm about to turn into a campsite and a glamp site with a wife that i met through the community that i set up because of these adventures and it's it's just been it's been a lovely kind of ongoing story writing itself uh driven by optimism optimism it has adventure is not the center for me it's it's about the seeking out positive company it's about being willing to be creative and chase cool ideas that usually would stay in the pub but i want to wake up the next morning and turn those 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 cool ideas into reality and i think life is at its best when you're willing to do that yeah that's that's pretty cool i I, so one thing i Speaking of sort of kind of you, we talk about the mindset and things like that. I'm thinking positive. Now, one thing I read about is when you did your, uh, well, initially it was part of your exhibition 1000, uh, Walking the West Bank, hmm. uh, which is like the heart, heart of the Middle East. Now, again, people who won't know, well, people who do follow you will obviously know this, but for people who don't, um, what happened? Because I know people <laughs> will probably want to know. <laughs> it depends who you talk to. So I was walking with uh, yeah. my friend Leon McCarran, who is uh, an amazing filmmaker, adventurer. Leon loves a good a good plot. Um, Leon will tell you that I annoyed him so much he broke my leg. Uh, but in reality, <laughs> we we walked the length of the West Bank and then we're crossing over into Jordan, climbing up the other side of the Jordan Valley. And I got a stress fracture. Uh, you know, one of these really pathetic injuries and i got one in my shin and one in my foot both at the same time and i guess it would because i i've just been carrying a really heavy pack full of camera gear and all of that stuff and my my ankles and my feet weren't weren't used to it i dan i never trained for for my trips i like starting off kind of completely fresh and green and just just building up pace and strength as i go taking it slowly for the first week or two but i figured like if i've been training for anything it's walking <laughs> you know i've been doing it all my life yeah yeah uh, but that's the only thousand miler or proposed thousand miler that i've started and haven't then didn't finish uh so yeah yeah maybe that's gently embarrassing but it does mean i've kind of got an easy hopefully walking journey to come at some point <laughs> yeah yeah i was going to say is there, is there plans to go back and, and do that one at some point i won't i won't go back and try and finish the same trip i'm not really you know yeah. i'm not attached to it um kudos to leon by the way because he continued and 
and finish the whole journey. He was joined by a couple of other magical people, Sean Conway, Austin Vince amongst them. Uh, so yeah, Leon went on and proved he was a much bigger man than I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, is it, so when when that happened, um, obviously you had to take the decision to back to you know to come off the expedition. That must have been a pretty pretty difficult decision, knowing that obviously all this prep well preparation and, and this, sort of these ideas that you have and you've done over the years. So it must have been quite difficult to sort of not be able to complete one. Yeah, good point. Yes and no is the answer. I think when you break a leg. You break a leg, you can't unfix that, you can't unbreak yeah. it. So in that sense, you know, I, I was at a point where this was at the end of 2015, just before Christmas 2015. And I, by then, I feel like I, you know, I've become the bloke I am now. And, you know, like, like life just throws you some challenges and you deal with them. And I'm, I'm not very dramatic. So once I went to the, it was weird because it came out of nowhere one minute I could walk the next minute I couldn't walk uh so kind of like pulling myself by my arms to to you know wherever we could we could hide out get get a doctor's check and when the x-ray came back and it was like I've got a broken leg I can't carry on walking can I so in that sense it was really easy there's definitely a lot of frustration we'd been planning for months it was it was more than just a walk we were we were yeah. looking into the the area uh the there's there's so much history in that part of the world and political repercussion and social change and all of that and it was it was more than just an adventure so it was sad that i had to reach that conclusion but at the same time legs broken let's you know leon you yeah. carry on and i i think all the decisions were fairly simple what i didn't what I knew was that I had four, for the first time in a decade, I had four months free in my calendar because I was supposed to be walking, but now I wasn't going to be yeah. walking. And I was excited about that as well because free time means mad zany things happen for me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. was excited about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, for, apart from your Expedition 1000, obviously you do a lot of other things. Um one thing, again, out of the many things that you've done, uh, there's a couple of things I, I want to talk about. And the first one is uh, when you stayed awake for 72 hours with <laughs> the people uh, with Seb Terry. Uh, and as soon as I read about this, I, I knew straight away there'd be something crazy because Seb Terry is involved. Because for people who don't know him, he, he's obviously the founder of uh, 100 Things, uh, and, and he's, a, he's a crazy guy. And hopefully I can get him on at some point. Um, but coming from a military background, obviously I've done some form of sleep deprivation. Now, how how did that come about? Because was it just sort of a, a kind of start? You just went, oh, we're going to do some sleep deprivation. Actually, the idea came from Seb's friend Matty, who had been in the military, yeah. and he they had a sleep deprivation thing and Seb and Matty were talking and Matty said it was the hardest thing he's ever done. And Seb's mind is kind of like mine. And Seb has this list, 100 things, yeah. loads of stuff he always wants to do before he, before he died. So he, he thought, wow, I've got to have a bit of that. So he 72 on his list was to stay awake for 72 hours. And at the time, this is 2010, 2011, Seb and I were, we spent a bunch of time together I helped him tick off a bunch of his lists. We did a trip together on a tandem from Vancouver to Vegas and 
we were doing a speaking tour yeah. around around Australia. And Seb was like, do you want to stay awake for 72 hours? It's number 72 on my list. So yeah, I was like, yeah, of course, let's have, let's have a bash. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was really funny kind of looking back on it at the time. It was, it was so hard. There were hallucinations, uh, very funny moments. There was a lot of kind of saliva in the last, in the last few hours. Uh, we, yeah. we decided that we were going to kind of travel around Southern Australia um we flew we woke up on the wednesday morning in sydney and we didn't sleep until the sunday morning and then we flew we flew oh. to melbourne and we lined up loads of things just we thought we've got to keep busy so we we yeah. went on a breakfast show in melbourne and ate chilies and we played we were captains of opposing sides on a wheelchair basketball team with a paralympic team we went to a school and oh, okay. kind of talked about bullying and on and on. we played laser quest all loads of we went speed dating after 62 hours awake which was really fun <laughs> um and incredibly messy uh so yeah that was that was a good one it's definitely one of my favorite favorite nonsense ideas <laughs> yeah yeah i i just found it really interesting because I, I don't i can't say i've been out for, uh, up for that long and sit, you know done sleep deprivation for that long i think maybe 48 maybe is a push for me i, I think i've done but mm. That that like you say, when you sort of did all your hallucinations and stuff like that, and this is obviously time like you you're obviously trying to keep busy at the same time, so yeah. that must have been really difficult not to sort of like not to sort of fall back into the negative side of it because hmm. obviously a lot of people are potentially negative when they're very tired hmm. in in all aspects of life. So how how did so by doing all these uh, sort of events and, and these experiences, is that what helped you try and keep positive and stay? And being with Seb, obviously, he's a, like I say, I follow Seb on social media, so I know he's a, he's a crazy character. Um, <laughs> so it must have been quite fun to sort of keep keep positive. Yeah, I, I think the key is fun. You know, fun combined with purpose mm -hmm. is is so important. And if you can if you can see something funny and have a giggle about most, you know most aspects even if they're annoying or painful at the time then yeah. then that gets you through for sure i mean undoubtedly there's grumpy moments in every adventure there definitely were in those 72 hours but we we knew why we were doing it and we also don't take that stuff it's not worth taking seriously and i think as soon as you start taking something so seriously then it loses its level of fun and then you just go down a rabbit hole and suddenly, you know, it's, yeah. you, you make out this stupid challenge to be more important than it really is. And that's where all the, I, th I think that's where it, where it, where you fall apart. So yeah, for, for me, like I want to have fun in everything I do. Why, why wouldn't we? It feels yeah. good to smile and laugh and have a giggle. Uh, and I don't know if there's, there aren't, I think if, if you're privileged and fortunate enough to be able to have the time to think about doing this stuff then uh it's because life isn't hard enough honestly <laughs> and yeah. uh yeah. you know yeah. for me there's there's things really worth worrying about and getting angry or frustrated about in the world but having a little adventure or a project isn't one of them so keeping keeping that in mind at all times uh means that you're focused on the right stuff i think yeah yeah I, I, and and it's it's quite a, a good point to make because 
for instance, from my personal sort of uh, personal experiences, I, I I remember I travelled around uh, Zambia uh, a few number of years ago, and one side of it was you know absolutely ex, you know amazing. There was you know five star uh, resorts that I went and uh, visited. I was trying to get sponsorship for the Zambian rugby team uh, as I was coaching <laughs> out there. But but then on the flip side, I, I I went down some, you know, through some small villages where there was a, I think I remember one there was a, a family of five, you know, a toddler all the way up to mum and dad, uh, just led on the side of the road, and that was their home. Mm-hmm. And I just thought to myself, like it, it, it's you've just got to appreciate what you have in life because not everyone has what we have, like you know, like things like running water and, and stuff like that. So I can I can understand like that. that when you're doing these adventures, you know, you might be, and when I do my things as well, not to the level at what you do, but I've got to appreciate what I have because end of the day, you know, there is going to be people that are a lot worse. Mm. Um, now the next one I want to talk about, and I've mentioned this earlier about, I was, I believe, obviously I know that you're good friends with Sean. Um, and the one, so when he did his, I think it was his Land's End to John O'Groat swim, you came up with an idea to go and see him uh, within sort of a very small time frame. And I'll fa- and call it Finding Sean Conway. And so how 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 did that evolve and how did that come about? <laughs> oh, it's really good of you to bring that up. I, I, uh, I, know, yeah. I, I know what it's like being in the middle of a really long, hard trip and how... Uh, how buoying it can be to have somebody show support, even if they're a complete stranger. And Sean was going through the mill, uh, swimming from Land's End to Donna Groats. And I felt that more than more than most would, because a year before I'd swum for two months down the Missouri. And I, it's not easy swimming, you know, your head's in the water the whole time. Even if you've got, especially if you've got a team around, you're, you're living a completely different experience to them. And it's tough. You go into yourself and it's, you know, it's, it's not the easiest experience. So, uh, he, I think Sean stupidly thought like he'd be finished in six months or something, you know, six weeks. And it, it just dragged on. I think by the end of month three, he was up in the North, North of Scotland, but he was stuck in this place because of bad weather up in Cape Wrath. And I was, and I just thought, I've got to go and see the boy. Uh, I also, uh, Emily Bell, who was on, sean's team the year before had been on my support team coming down the missouri river and uh i knew she you know it it was it was tough for everybody involved in that trip so i i was speaking at buxton adventure festival so i was already halfway up the country from my rough base camp in london and just thought whatever let's let's go i was chatting about sean i think in the q a after my talk and then i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna go get him after this so i i made that declaration after that talk and then i got on a train went to manchester airport got a ticket to inverness took a four-hour train up to thurzo and then the problem was there were no buses and there's no trains going going west for 100 miles or so so i just i just booked booked a cab and uh like this taxi really? driver was over the moon. Like this was the best gig he'd had. <laughs> and by the time I was just, I was, I don't really care how much it is. Not that I had the money, but I was just like, it's more important to me that Sean has a giggle tonight. So I just found yeah. this, uh, yeah, we just, I drove for like three hours with this, 
in this taxi and uh, just chatting to the cabbie. And then I was like, will you just hang out for two hours in the car park and then drive me back later? Uh, otherwise, I would have been just lost in the countryside forever. So, yeah, yeah and I, I, I just walked into the pub and uh, obviously Sean had found himself in a pub like for five, for five days. And yeah, yeah, yeah. just just gave him gave him a hug and bought them all dinner and it was yeah i just i I think we should look after our friends simply yeah yeah oh, absolutely absolutely because um i i watched the video earlier about uh you know the video with you and sean um basically it was like you he'd done this but you, he was talking about you know his nutrition and stuff like that and you're talking about and chocolate <laughs> and things like that i i uh, i watched it earlier and it's so funny i'll have to put it in the description it's really funny um, yeah do now, big swimmers it's called isn't it yeah 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 absolutely i'll put it in the description people can have a look at it it's it's really funny uh it's about it's like a three minute video uh of you two like basically comparing what you've done bearing in mind obviously you did your swim before his so it's quite funny to watch but i'll put it in the description it's funny um <laughs> Now, I know you do like group, group uh, obviously you do a lot of stuff by yourself, but you do a lot of group retreats as well, uh, mm. helping, and obviously that's, I believe, is that for, to help people sort of learn and develop and grow themselves and, and to sort of like, be, you know, come out of the shells a little bit? And obviously there's, obviously you go around the world doing stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be reluctant to use the word help. Like I'm not, I'm not. Uh, officially trained like I'm not a coach or anything like that Uh, I have had a bunch of life experience certainly in you know in in the in the adventure world if you like so what's what's really important to me is remembering how I started and the pitfalls that that I had and I think you know simple human evolution is someone has an experience and they they pass it on so the next person doesn't have to make as many mistakes so they evolve a bit quicker and i think if you have any kind of experience anywhere then you should be willing to pass pass it on even if it's knowing that if you find yourself in in a wild place and it could that could be a woodland just outside of london you will feel less stressed than you do in your day-to-day life and then you can think a bit more clearly about what's really important. And I think knowing your priorities and knowing yourself at the same time is 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 the first first step to whatever success looks like. So for me, I love getting people outside and gathering them together with people who are positive because they you end up helping each other. And then those those far off dreams or the harder stuff that we experience in a regular lifetime they're easier to deal with when you've got that support around you and you know i think looking back at all my all my trips my my best memories are where i met met someone cool you know and yeah yeah. every time i came back to london or, or the uk in between my trips i i missed that camaraderie i missed having a story to tell i missed uh being outside and camping wild every night uh, all of that stuff which kind of brought me most to life so i thought i'd try and recreate that that scenario in the uk and i i did it by just inviting some people from my facebook page camping i didn't know who was going to turn up but yeah. but they did and that beca- that 19 folks rocked up at a train station as the story goes and we spent a night wild camping just north of london 
and that was the beginning of a community called the Yes Tribe, which we're yep. over five years old now, and there's twenty thousand people in this group, and it's it's awesome. And so many people have gone on to to do all kinds of stuff, adventures, writing books, setting up charities and companies, and and cool initiatives just because they're they're surrounded, or not just because, but it's it helps because they're surrounded by these more positive crowd you know who like doing that stuff yeah absolutely and uh, I, I first i want to say one, one of them twenty thousand people have been, is me so <laughs> i i mean I'm, I'm in there um so yeah that's it's going back to sort of what i said earlier about being around sort of positive people and sort of like you know people who have lots of sort of visions of what they would like to do in life and, and the goals to strive to it makes everything not easier but it just it makes it more simple i think because as i say if you're around negative people things can get a lot more complicated but i feel especially what you've done with the s tribe and 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 that kind of your motto of saying yes more which i think everyone should do you know not obviously <laughs> obviously people don't always want to do that but people are setting their ways yeah. But I feel doing what, you know, setting up what you have is being around people that actually want to help each other mm-hmm. and want to sort of encourage each other to do uh, whatever it is they may want to do. Because obviously it's not just, we're not, you know, we're not talking just adventure. We're talking, it could be anything in life. Um, so I feel like that's something that's uh, become on leaps and bounds. Um, and I know uh, one thing I haven't done yet myself personally is visit the Yes Bus I've not done that yet. It's something obviously a bit a bit difficult at the moment, but um, it's something I will will try and do at some point uh, in the next well, whenever we can really. Um, so, is there any? Have you got any other future plans with with the Yes Tribe? Uh, is anything on the pipeline that you can say? I think the cool thing about the Yes Tribe is we've never had any plans. You know, it it, it started yeah. off with the simple ethos of let's get people together outside. Uh, it's always been a, a non-profit thing. Like the, we've got a team of yeah. 90 at the moment who run different regional tribes, a lot in the UK, some abroad as well, and then different events and wild camps and all of this stuff. And it's we've got seven acres of community woodland and the Yes Bus, as, as you mentioned, which has just moved with me up to, up to Lincolnshire. I'm sitting now in my okay. new home of one month and... Uh, I'm setting yeah. up a little business called the Big Sky Hideaway with camping and glamping and bushcraft and a permaculture garden. The Yes Bus is oh, cool. is uh, is here. So, in terms of plans, no, not really. I think we we're always doing doing new stuff. I think if if there was one long term mission, it would to be to buy up community woodland around the UK uh, with the help of companies as well as the the thousands of members of the yes tribe in each different region because wild camping yeah. isn't legal in most places in england so it's not what we've no, done with not. the first the first woodland is to open it up as a space where people can come along meet other people you know typical stuff and then learn some skills some outdoorsy skills bring their bring their families help nurture and look after the woodland but as a safe place to wild camp as well so i I'd, I'd love that to become a focus down the line but on the whole, yeah. we, the group the group is there. We we ran eight hundred events last year, six hundred plus online. 
to help decrease this social isolation that's happening because of covid and also just remind people that there's there's friends there even if you've not met them before you can go onto the yes tribe group and either be inspired or find support and i think the aim is whether you turned up at an event in person uh or went to the yes tribe group you should feel welcomed uh, and that's yeah absolutely. that's the baseline we we look after each other and and i think every human on the planet wants that uh you know we we might be divided in certain ways but for me we're we're, we're all the same at heart we all want more or less the same things and uh yeah i think that positive attitude yeah, of saying yes is the basis of it yeah absolutely and i think that's it's something obviously you're doing very well at and i feel like um it's something that like i said it, it's 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 all comes down to being positive i feel like being positive and just being happy with whatever you have because not everyone you know you might have a fast car you might have a massive house whatever it may be but then the day just being happy i think is the best way to be i feel um now i, I mentioned at the beginning uh in the introduction that you're an author now again i just want to speak about one book and one book i felt so uh so funny <laughs> And I'm, I'm coming, from, coming from a man of a single background oh, no. is the hundred. <laughs> the, <laughs> so you, I think you know what's coming. So and I, I, obviously you're now a happily married man, but before that you had, you, you, you wrote a book called hundred dates, um, <laughs> which is from what I can gather was a hundred dates in a hundred days. Now to me, that sounds like a dream, but how, how was it in reality? It was hell. It was, really? it was, yeah, it was, it was horrid. Um, so I think, yeah, t thanks for bringing this up, Dan. That's awesome of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, this is something that never really gets talked about. But actually, you know, it came from this simple premise of I was pretty fresh back from my skateboarding trip, uh, maybe a, a year after that happened. And I felt like life was looking up and yeah, I just wanted someone to share it with. But I, I was, I had no confidence with with women at all. I didn't. I'd never really been on a date. I, and I, I, I felt lost. I felt a lot of fear with it. And I, I, I think that's quite a nice kind of trampoline into into doing something. Just try and break down that, uh, so it doesn't get in the way later. And I just, I don't know. I can't really remember where the idea came from, other than it popped up when I was having a drink with my friend Will, and. I just thought, oh, yeah, what if I, you know, rather than just going through all of life's painful moments trying to <laughs> find a date, this yeah. online thing yeah, had started yeah. to happen. So there were apps and stuff. It was pre-Tinder, but there were things like My Single Friend and Match.com. And I was just fascinated by this uh, this idea. It was all a bit taboo back in 2008 as well. People, you know, were looked at funny if you admitted publicly that you were dating online. <laughs> uh, so I just yeah, thought yeah. I'm going to try and date 100 women in 100 days and surely if you line up 100 people there's got to be someone in there that you're going to spend the rest of your life with <laughs> uh so yeah i just as usual i just had that silly idea it should have that one definitely should have stayed in the pub but it didn't and it just became the most exhausting expensive thing i've ever done <laughs> yeah yeah and i had I to write imagine. a book about it just to pay the debt off yeah 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 
it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Again, if you haven't read it, you should definitely read it. It's quite funny. I, I, I just, yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting. Uh, it's definitely different to your usual type of stuff that you've been doing. Um, now, last, I just want to talk, last couple of things I want to talk about, mate. Um, what is next for you? Um, I usually don't like that. What's next question? But okay that's but uh that's often because i don't have anything to say because <laughs> i, yeah, I yeah. always planned stuff last minute things have changed a bit this year uh i you know like so many people covid kind of it knocked everything i had planned off the table uh work and all so it's it kind of helped in a way to fast track what's happened what's happening now my wife em and i have had a dream for years to set up a little camping glamp site and basically you know expand what we've been doing already but have a little business alongside so we're you know not licking dust for dinner and we yeah, yeah. ended up find we've just unbelievably we're still pinching ourselves we uh we managed to get a loan and we bought this place in lincolnshire it's 14 acres and we've got such amazing plans for it it's the most beautiful little little haven and i'm here now it's called the big sky hideaway so have a look at big sky hideaway on dot com and uh and yeah we've got two buses we've got two land pod little glamping pods coming in in may and we've got a lovely camping meadow we're getting alpacas in in a couple of months planting okay. about a, an acre permaculture garden four acres of woodland so we're gonna have a hammock village mate this is the thing dreams are made of so That's yeah i mean yeah I don't know if you can see over in in my corner for for those of you who are kind of watching the video, but that's that's the yeah. to do list just to get started with the big sky okay. hideaway, uh, and it's epic. Okay, it's you know I think at heart if you're gonna if you're gonna do a, a a big adventure, you have to be a really good project manager. And if there's one thing mm. I'm good at, it's it's planning a big project, and this is just in a nice little kind of alternate angle. But it all comes back to the same thing, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a place where people can come and gather, get some outside time. We'll have all kinds of kind of workshops and micro festivals and retreats here as well. But uh, at heart, it's yeah. it's a beautiful outdoorsy space, which is going to be welcoming for people when we're allowed to get together in the same place. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, last question for you, uh, and I've asked a few people this now. Obviously, adventure is a bit of a generic term, but if you could plan any adventure with anyone past or present, who would you go with and where would you go? Oh, man. Um, that's interesting. I think I'd just... I'd take Sean Conway to a barber. Or I'd get rid of the beard. Just cut his beard off. Because oh, he's not the that. same. You talk... Really, <laughs> he's not the same you're guy. You're talking to a man with a beard. <laughs> I I know, and it suits you, yeah. and it suits Sean as well. But yeah. I I miss pre-beard Sean. I I challenge him okay. to a thousand mile race, and if I beat him, then he has to shave his little beard off. Because I remember his bald little face. If you share that film, Big Swimmers, yeah. he doesn't have a beard, and yeah, yeah, when he's got a beard on. Like he's the difference between Diego and Maradona. They were different people, yeah. and it's yeah. Sean, and the beard is Conway. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, th I think the world would be a better place with with beardless Sean. 
that's a that's a that's a great way to sort of bring it to a bring it to a close. Um, Dave, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming and taking the time. Um, it's been absolutely a pleasure. Um, as I say, I'll put all the links in the description uh, to everything that you're doing and your future projects, etc. And then same for myself. Uh, again, people who want to follow the podcast can can do. I'll put links in the description. And uh, if I don't see you soon, and I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>